Hello and a very warm welcome to this edition of the Africa Legal Podcast. I am very happy to be joined today by two representatives of Beach Veltman Incorporated, this being Warren Beach and Coquetso Molepe. A little bit of detail on our guest today. Warren is the Chief Executive Officer and a highly accomplished and recognised mining, natural resources and infrastructure specialist. Warren provides multidisciplinary services for a particular focus on health and safety, environment, regulatory and criminal components, but has been involved in a large number of significant mining transactions as a lead commercial lawyer. Warren is well-known and passionate public speaker and is frequently quoted in print and digital media. He has been recognised as a highly regarded lawyer in South Africa for project development, in mining by the IFLR 1000 for 2021. And Coquetso is an accomplished intellectual property practitioner and litigator. She is passionate about dispute resolution and problem solving. Coquetso has experience in representing clients in various industries, including those in mining and infrastructure, pharmaceutical, entertainment, education, and retail. Beyond her role as a director, Coquetso is committed to education and has been serving as executive committee member of the Untombwe Siswe organization and scholarship program, uh, which allows uh, uh, Grahamstown-based female students who wish to pursue a degree at Rhodes University to do just that. So Warren and Coquetso, a very warm welcome to the podcast today. Thank you very much, Tom. Thank you very much, Tom. Good to be here. Great to have you both. Uh, let's dive right into some questions. Uh, I'll start with you, Warren. Now, the firm celebrates its one-year anniversary uh, very recently. Quite the achievement to have grown so considerably during a pretty torrid year when it comes to building new organisations. So, in a nutshell, what do you put the success down to? And what would your advice be for other entrepreneurially-minded lawyers thinking of starting their own firms? Tom, you're right, it has been a torrid year, or 18 months rather, since uh, COVID hit, and, and particularly when we went into lockdown in, in March 2020. But at the same time, it's also created a number of opportunities for firms and, and other businesses to, to start and to thrive, and we've been extremely fortunate in that category. But if you look at, or if we had to look at what really differentiates it and why we've been going in this guise for, for a year is really the relationships with, with our clients. So although the firm is only a year old, our relationships with the clients have gone back many, many years and from my personal perspective, at least 25 um, years, if not longer. So that relationship and that long-standing relationship is absolutely vital. Um, the clients trust us and that's really the point uh, about those relationships and they trust us because we're reliable. Um, we, we base our reliability on our, our hashtag, which most people have seen. It's really based on being relevant all the time. Um, in other words, we know the industries we, we work in. We know the industries extremely well, not only the, the clients that operate in those industries, but what's going on in those industries, what's coming around the corner. We also strive to be responsive. In, in other words, our turnaround time has to be extremely quick and uh, it's drilled into our team at all times. And then, of course, being practical is, is also vital. Um, I'm sure everybody has heard cl clients saying uh, they've received a 20-page opinion 
It starts with the case law in 1926 and uh, ends up, well, on the one hand this and the other hand that. And clients don't want that. Now, Warren, they, they want do to make want... wonderful doorstops and pre-bed reading material. So let's not, let's not be too late. <laughs> No, no, they, they they absolutely do, and and uh, if you come into my office, you'll see some of those opinions sitting as doorstops. Uh, but bottom line is the clients prefer the practical advice and two or three pages, and that comes back to knowing the industry, knowing the clients. Otherwise, you can't give that practical advice. So that that really has been uh, what what has worked for us, and of course the people in the firm, and we were very selective about who came into the firm and who we bring into into the firm in future. And Koketso is, is one of those persons who A, came across with us and B, um, is vital to the success of the firm. So it's the relationships and it's the people in the firm. That's the bottom line. And, you know, when it comes to this relevance, this, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, connectability and, 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 and constantly being available for, for clients or at least responsive um, and the practical advice, you know, some would say you don't have to go out and set up your own firm to be able to deliver advice in that way. Were you stifled? Did you, you know, not speaking ill of past employers or anything, but did you feel stifled in your ability to deliver these key tenants of the current firm when you were at, you know, larger or, 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 or different law firms? Was that one of the, the main motivators for uh, going it alone and setting up your own shop? Tom, absolutely. So because of the, the formula that we've applied for so long as I've been practicing, we've, we've been multidisciplinary but sector-focused, so mining, natural resources, infrastructure, and we've provided multidisciplinary services to those clients. A lot of the firms we've been at have insisted on us going in, or we were under pressure to go into silos. So if it was a commercial matter, it should be dealt with in commercial. If it's an M&A matter, it should be dealt with M&A. And that did not suit our model and it didn't suit our client's model. So yes, it was a very strong motivator to form Beach Feltman Incorporated as a vehicle or a structure where we could do what we wanted to do and also be agile enough. And I'm very one of the things uh, you, you'll see as we go along, I don't like using consult speak or legalese, but it, it has created the opportunity for us to be more agile than some of the other firms. So the agility to meet the client demands has also been very strongly part of our thinking in, in setting up a firm. But the silo, the pressure to go into silos was was quite severe. And uh, again, I'm reluctant to, to use words like it, but it was severe in a lot of the firms we were at, yes. Well, look, I'm going to pivot over to Koketso in just a moment, but if anyone's in any doubt about what Warren actually means by agility and uh, and reachability and so on, trying to schedule with the guy is indicative of just how reachable he is. I'm always hearing about he's at this mine or that mine. You know, the, the, you talk about giving practical advice. Warren's giving practical advice at the literal coalface. So a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I think it's a really good example <laughs> of exactly what you mean. Um, but I, I want to turn to, to you, Koketso. Uh, firstly, look, many congratulations on the recent promotion to director within the firm. Uh, but what was it that first motivated your move over from the previous firm where you and Warren both worked at to this new venture? And secondly, what do you see as your most significant value that you can now bring the firm's clients as a director? No, no thank you very much, um, Tom. 
Um, I suppose the what attracted me to to the new venture is essentially growth potential and as Warren has correctly stated, you know, we don't want to just be limited to one particular area of law. It's that multidisciplinary service offering. And that's essentially, I think, as especially as young professionals, we really need to aspire to. Um, it's, it's just to make sure that you keep upskilling yourself. And because the, the, the industry is so competitive, you know, you want to create a very well-rounded professional self and then i think um especially because the particular area of law that um you know the firm specializes in or the sector rather um it's, it's almost a unicorn not a lot of um professionals sink their teeth into it and i thought geez this is actually a very good um sector to get into i want to see how well i can do in it what can i contribute to the discourse and and yeah that's essentially what attracted uh, what attracted me to to the offer or the opportunity rather and the second question about what I can add as a director, you know, value-wise to the sector, um, I would say, you know, given my unique history, and I think, you know, um, our, our whole team has, has a different history. And I think that's why we have such a dynamic team and we're able to service our clients' needs and be, you know, responsive in that way. Um, but but to speak about myself in, in particular, you know, with um, the IP experience, the litigation experience, the different firms that I've been at, you sort of develop your own way of practicing, your own litigation style. And that's actually what, I've, what I think I'm, I can actually bring into, into the firm and servicing the clients. It's that different flavor, that different strategy approach. And, and yeah, a lot of our clients actually appreciate that. Well, I, I really... You know, I've known Warren for a number of years and I've followed, you know, his career and, and, you know, we've met a few times. And firstly, my initial excitement about seeing the firm set up was mostly about, good, I like to see new African law firms with a different output, with the right talent. Because as much as, look, I love a lot of my big international clients, but seeing a success story rather than just a growth Steady growth story is often very exciting. And I must say it was your skill set that really made me kind of, uh, you know, prick my ears up. when I was like, look, if you saw a mining and natural resources specialist firm set up and you saw it filled with transaction-focused, M&A-focused, um, ESG-focused lawyers, you'd be like, ah, oh, okay, cool. They're doing the, the usual path. And then I see one of the first directors is a young female IP and litigation specialist. And I was like, okay, this is actually someone putting their money where their mouth is. One of your first promotions is something totally outside what you might normally consider as the services that are most in demand or utilized at larger law firms for the mining sector. So uh, that's, you know, a, 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 just a personal interest from mine, but I think it's indicative of, of the flexibility and the non-siloed nature that the firm is striving for. And look, with, with this non-siloed kind of uh, component in mind, Warren, uh, particularly with a focus on Coquetso's litigation and IP experience now added, the firm is quickly developing it to offer multidisciplinary advice to your key sectors, one of which certainly remains not mining and natural resources. Where do you foresee the firm's development heading beyond this? Is it the ambition of the firm to be the go-to firm for all African resource matters? Or do you see yourself moving into additional sectors too? Or has this trend already started? 
Tom, it's already started and, and you've touched on Koketsa's intellectual property background, but I think just to take a step or two back, Koketsa's involvement in the firm was vital from the beginning and she touched on this by saying that although she does litigation, she brings a unique mix to how you execute that litigation and that's really very important. So although a number of us in the firm do litigation, uh, whether it's arbitrations or, or court work, but the bottom line is every single one of us have a different history. We have a different approach to life. And ultimately, we have a, a different approach to the practice of law. And that is that is quite important. The diversity of having people with different backgrounds, different life experiences, absolutely vital to uh, two things. One, meeting client expectations and client expectations change all the time. And secondly, to, to come back to being relevant and, and practical. Uh, our background helps us do that. And the more diverse backgrounds we have in the firm, the better placed we are to to deliver those those services at the end of the day. So we're not going to move away from, and you've mentioned it in the past, yes, we're known as mining lawyers, but we are far wider than just mining. We're obviously mining and natural resources more generally, and that is extractives, that's beneficiation, it's renewables, and it's all the infrastructure that goes around that. At last count, we just on the mining side, without looking at the beneficiation and renewable side, we counted 20, 228 pieces of legislation that applies to mining, from personal information and management of that all the way through to, to criminal liability uh, for, for example, environmental breaches and pollution and things like that. And it's vital that each member of the team brings their personal background, their personal history, and their unique experiences to the party because it makes us better lawyers at the end of the day. I'm also very focused on dehumanizing um, the whole, sorry, of, of humanizing the lawyers, not dehumanizing us. That's what people think we are. <laughs> um, you know, the lawyers are usually in the pecking order. If we're lucky, we're behind people that sell used cars. I believe um, it's estate agents. You've actually <laughs> climbed the ranking slightly during, you know, there was a bit of pro bono done a couple of hours, I think it was, <laughs> and it really helped climb. But uh, yeah, no, I, I, I hear you. The humanization of the law, people want to work with people that they enjoy. Yes. They do not want robots. And I say to lawyers, the only time a robot's going to take your job is if you act like one. Um, but go, go on, Warren. No, no, that's that's exactly the point. To, you know, to try and put the human behind the lawyer, I think, is vital, and we're trying very hard to do that. You cannot be dispassionate about what you're doing and the advice that you're giving. Every single piece of advice we give has an effect. It either has an effect on the business, which then comes back to the effect on the persons. And when you're affecting people's lives and livelihoods, we have to be very careful with the advice we give. And you can only give good advice when you know the client, when you know the law, and you understand that it has a human impact. And that's something that we're focusing very, very strongly on. So not moving away from our core uh, sectors, so mining natural resources and, and infrastructure, but we will, we, we, by natural extension, there are other aspects that we tend to look at, uh, particularly on the employment law side with Melanie Hart. She's got fast-moving consumer goods and, and a number of related clients, and of course, we, we continue to service that, and, and we use the experience in the mining and natural resources space to give better advice in, in those scenarios too, because quite often they 
coming back to the silos, a, a particular area like fast-moving consumer goods has no contact with, with the mining industry and there's a lot to be learned. So we try and play that gap, that bridging that gap between different sectors as, as well. And as a result of that, we end up moving into other sectors, but uh, still staying with our core sectors. Thanks for the insight, Warren. I think a, a, a couple of points to follow up is firstly on that humanization project i do encourage our listeners to have a, a really a look at a really nice little project being run by the firm's marketing which is uh, meet the team and you know i've read some of the content and it just it's not your average law firm biography so if you actually want to get to know the team the website's great but have a little look at the social media led uh, meet the team as well because there's a couple of like quirky comments and so on it's just a bit more fun and I wanted to pick your brain on something. Uh, you mentioned arbitration on the litigation side of things, and I am hearing a lot of talk about arbitration really stealing the march on litigation in certain sectors. Kuketso, you might be the one to lead on this one. Is arbitration going to justifiably and factually overtake litigation as the preferred dispute resolution mechanism in mining and natural resources? Well, I think, I think yes, to some, ex- to some extent, especially um, given the current COVID-19 climate that we're in, you know, our court systems have really struggled, you know, to, to keep things running efficiently. So um, there's definitely, there definitely are benefits to arbitration, whilst it can be more expensive than, you know, your normal civil litigation route. The benefits of it is confidentiality, which is something that, you know, most of our clients really prefer. And you get to decide the rules of the game. You get to decide when you want to file papers. You get to choose, you know, the type of arbitrator who will be presiding over your matter, you know. So there's a little bit of more control and that luxury of selecting how you actually want to have the playing field of of, um, running your litigation and how you want it to look like, you know. If you had to litigate in an ordinary court, you wouldn't have the luxury of choosing which judge you're going to get, you know. Um, and particularly if you're dealing with a matter that is so specialised that requires an, um, an adjudicator who's knowledgeable about that particular area of law, there's a lot at stake, you know, whether it's money, whether it's specific performance. So there's definitely a benefit to to arbitrating, and it's quite attractive to, to our clients in particular. But, of course, you know, we do have those clients who... Um, don't really, you know, it doesn't really make sense to spend so much money on arbitration and it makes sense to go the normal civil litigation route. And it's generally if the client is more of a defendant or respondent in, in the context. So, and, and that can also work. So, but either way, you know, we, we love both. So we're, we're happy to do either or. <laughs> it's good to pick your brain on it. It's, uh, it, it seems to be happening and particularly in relation to cross-border matters you know, where where jurisdiction is even questionable as to kind of where the issue arose or where it should be heard. And the arbitration route is just offering that that degree of flexibility. I think what I'm waiting to see before it really takes off is, is kind of infrastructure. So you've got African arbitrations being heard in London and Paris more than you are in Johannesburg. And I think it has something to do with just the the pedigree, the awareness, and and the the kind of proof of concept when it comes to African arbitration hubs. But look, that's not a huge thing to solve. And I think it is going to be, and it'll be African matters being arbitrated by Africans in Africa, particularly things like the Africa Promise Pledge that I've seen get some traction recently, addressing the, um, 
pretty dire diversity situation when it comes to arbitrators. But look, got to watch this space. It's good to have your your insight on it. And to follow up. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Just to add on to what you're saying, you're actually quite right. We're working on um, a couple of interesting matters. And like you said, with the arbitration, you know, you have... Um, we have ICC arbitration, arbitrations out of the ICC that we're conducting, you know, where the law of the seat will be in Zambia, but then you have the law of the contract is in terms of, you know, Zambian law, but then you have the law of the seat, let's say, in London. So, um, yeah, it's, it's actually very interesting. And you always have to take, and then you get the procedural law as well, which would be a wholly different um, procedural law. It could be South African law. Um, which obviously finds its um, history in Roman Dutch and English law. So it's a very fascinating time to, to litigate. I think anyway, for, for litigants. Yeah. Okay, so you've, you've just sent some uh, law nerds into a spin talking about <laughs> fascinating and procedural rules in Roman Dutch. And yeah, I'm, I'm getting dragged back to my law lectures a good decade or so ago. But uh, I am a sucker for it. I'm a sucker for litigation. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a, like, give me legal tech and arbitration and cross-border litigation and I... Yeah, I nerd out every now and again. There's nothing wrong with it. It's like what Warren says, you know, passion is part of humanity. So if you're delivering advice where people can actually see your eyes light up a bit when you're talking about it, that's who I want to get my advice from. Um, you know, I don't want some, you know, robotic reiteration of the black and white legislation that is matter. I'm like, no, no, tell me what to do and why. Don't give me a million different ways forward. So I think the passion is to be applauded and I think it's all about the human side. And look, talking about the human side, you know, we've mentioned your work with the Ntombwe uh, Siswe Organization and Scholarship Program um, earlier. This is keenly focused on education and overcoming of socioeconomic hurdles still facing so many bright young minds in African markets but with the law as a keen focus what do you think we need to be doing most pressingly as an African legal community to ensure that barriers to entering the profession continue to be knocked down or at least lowered in years to come what is the most pressing thing for us to do you know, Tom, I'm so glad you actually asked that question. I think it's a very, very good question, and it's an important one um, to to address. So in my view, um, and just to give some people background about the scholarship, you know, the scholarship is aimed at educating a young black female and or rather sponsoring a young black female who wants to pursue a degree in, in at Rose University. But it's not just about that. It's also about the mentorship, and that's the nice thing about the scholarship. You know, we're not just throwing money into... Um, empowering another woman but it's also about mentoring the 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 candidate throughout the studies and as well helping them enter into the professional space so so for me i i would say how we lower the barriers and and how we make it better is mentorship number one you know and number two it's definitely having those key role models that stand out there that you know young black females can actually look at and and that makes the law appear to be more relatable more achievable more reachable because you you as a young black female will see somebody on tv and you look at um, Tuli Madonzela as the public protector you look at Mandisa Maya as the president of the supreme court of appeal and that actually sparks you know that kind of and, and gets that involvement in so it's not just you know about attending to the economic part of you know sponsoring you know young black professionals but it's also about just that mentorship and um, role and 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 also just speaking of mentorship you know it's not something that i think 
should be limited to just black females mentoring black females. I think every professional should be urged to 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 do that to to mentor um, young professionals. If you look at, for example, with with me, Warren Beach is my mentor in so many you know aspects, not just professionally but even personally, um, and that's also contributed mm. to where I've actually gotten to right now. Sorry, Warren, probably didn't know this. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it's definitely contributed to my success. I mean, within a year of, of just getting involved in a completely different sector, completely different area of law. But, you know, if you have the same mindset and the same ethos, you know, and, and you're with a mentor who's passionate about what he likes to do, and it's a lifestyle, it's in your it's in your veins, you know, you, you then also become that as well. It rubs off on you. So I think that's one of the things, um, mentorship and key having key role models in your life can definitely contribute to it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more on the multifaceted kind of approach here. Mm. We've tried the chuck money at the problem approach. Probably not enough. It could have done a bit more. We've, we've tried mentorship in isolation is brilliant, but it's kind of where this all comes together. The visibility of people that look like you and sound like you and, and, and you can really aspire I think is, is so, so important. And I think, look, Warren, you're doing a great job here because I get the word count from Coquetso on this interview is definitely outdone you. And I am super proud of that fact. <laughs> think- yeah, yeah it's, it's not just, you know, getting um, black professionals into the sector. It's actually creating pioneers. You know, that's what you want to do. And if you have mentors like, let's say, the Warren Beaches of the world and the Mandisa Myers, for example, those are the people who are, um, opening the the doors by being very generous with their knowledge, with their connections, things that you're not ordinarily exposed to, as you know, um, as a young professional. Yeah, I said that on a, I think that's what it means. Just, yeah, just a recent podcast with um, Lynette Etemesi, who's a young mental health advocate in Kenya. And one line that we came up with was, even if you had to climb a rope in your career, lower a ladder when you when you get there so i think that access point is so important because if we just focus on numbers quotas can become the lazy default fallback very very quickly um and it's not good enough so great to hear more about the passion um and warren i'm going to close out with a little bit of a, a, a little bit of um joviality at the end of this you mentioned this earlier so i'm not even hitting you with a blind side your disdain for legalese and corporate jargon. So come on, hit us with your most hated corporate jargon ever. If there's only one, you might get No, Tom, it's any legalese and any consult speak. My (laughs) team knows and they've known it forever. If I see a drafted letter which says, and we're talking about going back to the Latin, and there's still some people that use it. You say, I refer to my correspondence ultimo or proximo, or I am going to attend at the mine to conduct. If I see that in a letter, you can ask Koketso, I go ballistic. <laughs> I was taught very, very young um, to be on the plain speak or the, or the, the plain language writing and it's something which uh, which I, I really, as you say, look at with disdain. We can say things far simpler, far more direct, and far more understandable than than using that language. So for me, that that is one element which uh, the entire team knows. And it's always difficult with new people coming into the team, and you know, particularly juniors, and they try and impress me with putting all of the legalese in. And then the first time I look at them. I pick up the piece of paper, take my pen, 
rub, scratch over it, and then explain to them that I don't ever want to see it again. But that's that's one of my bugbears. Look, Warren, Warren, you're you're understating it. I've heard that on the first review, it's described as a bloody Jackson Pollock, the, uh, <laughs> the piece of paper that they're handed back. So, Coquette, so look, I, 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 anything to follow on with that one? Any particular piece of jargon you've heard which just makes you cringe? Ugh, um, what I'm allergic to is if I read something that says the writer hereof can, oh, the writer hereof, the writer hereof, <laughs> that is the one me, for me. Me, yeah. But I do like a little bit of legalese. I must, I must say, I do like to indulge a little bit in it. So I, I'll, I'll, I'll admit. I'll well, confess, it was yeah. carp, carpe diem used to be the only Latin that made me giggle because when I was in a very, very short period of practice, our time recording software was called Carpe Diem. Uh, you know, pluck the day, pluck time, seize the day is the kind of English version. And we used to joke and say, Carpe Diem's our time recording. We would if we weren't breaking our life into six minute units. So that always made us uh, chuckle a little bit. <laughs> pluck the time. Well, we would if we could. Um, look, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure having you here today. We are just about out of time, but um, great to have you involved. Great to be working together. Great to give a bit of uh, exposure to, uh, to a firm. Really, really trailblazing here. I think, Warren, you've really found your feet leading um, you know, your, your own firm uh, alongside some very, very high quality directors and uh, and, and um uh, co-management so a doff of the cap to you all um thank you both for joining me here today thank you so much for your time tom it's been lovely thank you thanks tom appreciate it pleasure and to all of our listeners a very warm thank you as always if you are new to the africa legal podcast be sure to peruse our entire back catalogue now available on all reputable podcast providers including spotify soundcloud google podcasts and apple podcasts and don't forget to visit us at africalegal.com for all the news, views and insights that improve your life as a modern African legal practitioner. So this is Warren Beach, Coquetso Molepi and Tom Pearson signing off for the Africa Legal Podcast. Mm-hmm.